So, Psalm 123, starting in verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God, until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your word and for your spirit this morning. Thank you for bringing us here together today. God, I pray right now for Pastor Kevin as he preaches your word to us. Uh, that you would bless the study and the work from this past week. Uh, that you would uh, direct his words to us today. God, would you make us a praying people this fall? Um, give us your spirit that we can cry out to you in blessing and in struggle. God, thank you for hearing us, for listening to your people. God, most of all, thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, welcome everyone once again. Good to see some faces back, to see some new faces, and we will soon get back into the book of Galatians, but every fall we take some time and we have a short vision series where we remind ourselves of what Chorus is about and where God seems to be leading us as a church family, and before I do that, I always try to get away and spend some time, usually in the summer, in, in prayer trying to discern where God might be taking us. And this year I left with this thought, and I know it's going to come across as kind of strange, but it was this. What if we really believed all this stuff? What difference would it really make if we did? And I ended up with these three questions that I'm going to take one at a time during this series that we put up on the screen. How do we demonstrate, first of all, right here at this moment in this meeting, that we believe the real ministry of the gospel is one of prayer. Secondly, how do we encourage one another right here, right now, to be God's means of reaching our neighbors with the gospel? And third, how can we seize this very moment, as well as the rest of our week, to care with one another through the gospel? So you've seen, you've, you've heard the word gospel three different times. Here in Chorus, we're all about that gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done, is still doing and will one day do. But we believe the gospel rescues us, that the gospel transforms us. It creates a certain kind of community, and it also results in a particular kind of mission. But this gospel is a message that flows from the heart of the Father, that's revealed to us by the Spirit in His Word, and it's a message about His Son who came to restore us and all of His creation to God the Father once again. How are we saved? How are we changed? Yes, by the word proclaimed, as we hear Him speak to us, but also through prayer, as we ask God to work in us by that gospel, as we respond to Him. And that's where I want to start this morning. But back to those three questions. Now, over the past year, there's been a few hard moments, right, at least for me, and, and I felt this, this frustration, this hurt, um, that feels like it's coming from someplace down here, someplace deep, almost down in my guts. And it's, it's comforting to me 
to know that the Bible seems to speak of our deepest feelings in those same terms. In Philippians 1.8, for example, the Apostle Paul writes to that church that he loves, and he says that he yearns with them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection. That's his guts. That's his intestines. That's his stomachs. That's where that word comes from. We get it translated as affections. But he feels it down deep. He feels from them there. Now sometimes when you see the word heart in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's, it's really that word. And the verb form is actually used throughout the Gospels to speak about the compassion that Christ feels for people in need. There is a feeling, there are affections, there's passion that goes that deep that you feel all the way down, down in here. But here's what I want you to imagine during this series, that we don't just affirm the concepts in those questions up here, that, that you and I feel them down deep, throbbing in our stomachs. And I want you to imagine with me what a church where people are all feeling that would really look like, and I want to start with prayer. What if we really believed that gospel ministry was primarily about prayer? What difference would it make in our lives? To help us wrestle with that, I want to take one of my favorite passages from what's my favorite book of the Bible. You probably figured that out already, but I want us to look at Psalm 123 together. And I want us to think about why our lives are characterized by so much prayerlessness and what difference it would make if we moved into prayerfulness. Okay, so this psalm is a part of what have been called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. Aaron preached from one of these psalms a few weeks ago and he talked about this psalm. But they include Psalms 120 through 134. And these were songs written for God's people to sing. After their return from judgment and exile, and en route to the temple to celebrate the feast. But here in this psalm, Psalm 123, we see this moving picture of prayer, and I think we see what we can so easily forget, what keeps us from praying as we should. And there are three things that stand out for me in these four brief verses. Things that we get confused, things that we forget, and here's the, the first we struggle to believe who God is. We have a wrong view of our Lord. Look at the first thing that we notice in verse 1. How the psalmist addresses God. He says, Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. So who is God? He is great. He's enthroned in the heavens. We see His sovereignty. Everything is under His control. He rules over everything that He has made. He's worthy of the highest worship. He's majestic. Sovereignty, majesty. He's also good. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. Why are we to call out to Him for mercy? For Him to extend that loving pity to us. To grant us help. And it's not like our Father has to be talked into this. It's who He is. It's what He does. It's something He delights to extend to His people. He's great. He's also good. And this is why we should pray. It, it's one thing for our Creator to have compassion on us as creatures. But it's another thing if we're believers, now we're in His family. 
we are one of his kids, and to us, he's especially tender and kind. But we struggle, I'm convinced, in today's world, especially with so much cynicism. Right? We're just a cynical people. And we question, on one hand, whether he's really strong enough to do anything for us. But more than that, I think we question whether or not he really cares. And we, we struggle to have this childlike trust that our Heavenly Father desires for us. I think that's our first problem of not grasping and really believing who God is. Here's a second thing that's difficult for us. We don't realize who we truly are. We have a wrong, inflated view of self. Now here's the reason why, as I go through the Psalms, and I try to do it often, I always gravitate to this passage, because verse 2 is just so beautiful, but it's also really humble. Let's hear it again. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. You see what I mean? It's pretty glorious. But we're servants standing before this great God, and our eyes are fixed, and we're just waiting for whatever comes from his hand. Now, forgive me here, but what comes to my mind is our trusted, beloved, golden doodle bower, and how he stands there, and he's looking at any morsel of food in my hand, and his eyes are not moving, and he's not going anywhere until he gets it. We're not animals, we're not dogs, we're human beings made in the image of God, we're the pinnacles of his creation in his eyes, but we are that dependent upon him. And we forget this truth that as human beings we're frail, we're weak, we're not as strong as we think we are, we're not above handouts, in fact we're actually dependent upon them, we're desperate for them or we should be. We also forget that we're fallen. Because of who we are, because of what our world tells us, we forget that we need His mercy every moment. We're not just weak, we're wayward, we're wrong so much of the time. We try to put ourselves in His place and deny ours. Here, of course, is what we tend toward as humans. In this cultural moment especially, it's conceit. We're prideful. We don't have this dependent spirit that the Lord wants for us. And therefore, we do not carry ourselves like the servants that we see in this passage. Author Paul Miller puts it this way. He says, one of the subtlest hindrances to prayer is probably the most pervasive. In the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth. Because we can do life without God. Praying seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does, and it is quicker and less time-consuming. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, exhortations to pray don't stick. Pastor H.B. Charles puts it this way. He writes, Prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Wow, well, we live like he's not great or good enough to call out to, and we act like we're not frail or fallen enough to call out in the first place. And this is why we don't pray, and this is why we're so often so miserable. 
Think about what we tend to do instead, or at least I do. We worry, right? We stew and churn over these things in our heads. And what we're really doing is, is we're talking to ourselves about those things and trying to fix them instead of talking to God and asking for His help. And that, that worry doesn't help at all. It hurts, and it fundamentally misunderstands reality that He's God and we're not. But there's more. Here's the third thing we get confused. We don't realize where we are. We have a wrong view of our world. Now, there's, there's more to this picture of these songs of the sense than what I said at the beginning, and they weren't just written for those heading up to the temple, but for those who were being hassled along the way. There are verses 3 and 4. The psalmist is talking about the scorn of those who are at ease and the contempt of the proud. He says, we have had more than enough. We've had more than enough. Can anybody say that about the last couple of years? I could. This season has reminded us, or it should have reminded us, that we're in a fight. We've taken shots from the outside. You know, that we expected. So many of the shots have come from those that we thought were on the inside. And this is really what those Israelites walking up to Jerusalem would have also felt. Probably scorned from rebellious Jews. Contempt from skeptical Gentiles as well. But I felt, at least in part, the anguish that I think the psalmist here is trying to convey in these verses. And I think the season has been a wake-up call for me and for you. And that's because we can so easily forget how dangerous the world we live in truly is. There are spiritual forces behind those earthly ones that are trying to take us down and destroy us. And they're shouting into our ears all the time, you don't need him, you're all you need. We can also forget how deadening the world can be. We grow numb to who he is. We walk around in this stupor because we've been sucked into the ways and wisdom of the world. We've been hypnotized by it all. And we filled our minds and hearts up with their words and not his word. We tend toward cluelessness, naivete, obliviousness. We don't have this watchful mindset God wants us to have. And therefore, I think this passage can just feel foreign to us. Author John Piper, he likes to talk about why prayer seems so unnecessary. And he says it's because we forget that we're in a war. He puts it this way. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. Not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. If you try to turn this into a domestic intercom to bring another pillow, it malfunctions and you wonder why. It's not made to be an intercom. It's made to be a wartime walkie-talkie. And we've heard a lot over the last few days about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. You know, that seems far away from us. It's pretty up close and real for them. You know, they're thinking, will the Taliban find us and kill us? Can we find a flight out of our country? I've interacted with some, 
some former Chorus members that have moved away that spent some time in Afghanistan, and they're getting those kinds of emails from people there. The abuse that we take here is nothing like that. Don't misunderstand me, but behind the Taliban, behind our foes in America, and they're coming from both sides of the aisle, there are forces trying to destroy us, trying to deaden us, trying to take us out. But here in Psalm 123, God gives us this picture of us, His people, going up, ascending to Him. And of us raising our eyes to see Him as well. Going and looking above ourselves, beyond our world around us, in the midst of our trials and temptations, to see how great and good He is and to depend on Him for everything. But that's a place that's so hard for us to reach. Most of the time, we affirm these truths in our heads, but it doesn't often move to our hearts, it doesn't feel like. And I want us to think about why these are so hard for us to grasp. First, think about where we find ourselves in the story. We have this hope where things are going, where one day we're going to have full communion with our Father. He'll talk to us and we'll respond to Him. It will be unhindered, glorious communion. That's what we've been made for. That's, what, that's what, where we were in the garden, but the fall messed it up. And it's because we believed those lies. And we were kicked out. We were out of the garden, out of the promised land. But then, of course, the hope is redemption came in Christ. That relationship was restored. That gap was bridged. But now it's only in part. It's not in full. It would be so great if we became Christians and then communion with God was easy and blissful forevermore. But that's not our reality right now because we live in the overlap of these ages where the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. Where we haven't been fully redeemed and neither has the world in which we live. We can't rise above it fully and we can't at all without His strength here and now, it's just so hard to remember this and practice this. Well, think about what we have to learn second. We have to learn and remind ourselves of those truths I just talked about. About who we are. About who He is. And it doesn't come quick or easy. Every time we pray, in a burst of a crisis or in a circle, gathered together, we remind ourselves that we're weak, that we need mercy. That God is good and great in every way. And what happens is we get a reminder of the gospel. That everything we have comes from Him. Nothing we have is deserved. We learn what grace is, what chorus is. That we, with the, with the psalmist, have to lift our eyes. We have to look to Him to have salvation, but also to have anything He offers. We're dependent upon Him for mercy, but getting that again down in our gut comes hard because we're used to doing things ourselves to try to prove ourselves. Third, then, think about how we try to get things done. We don't just learn about the gospel as we pray, but we learn about what gospel ministry really is. Because our MO, at least mine, is to do things in our own strength and try to steal the glory from God. We don't want to think ourselves as the servant receiving, but the, God, the boss giving. But that's not how God chooses to do things in His sovereign plan. 
He wants us, with Psalm 123, to look up, to look to Him, to see, to receive His grace, to ask our Father to see Him act on our behalf. That's the way He's created, how He's willed things to be. Author Eric Alexander puts it this way. One of the primary functions of the church is prayer, and the greatest need of a needy world is a praying church, and the greatest need of a more abundant church is praying leaders. The truth is that prayer is the real work, and apart from it all, other work is in vain. The reason for that is quite simple. It is that essentially this work in which we are engaged is God's work, not, not man's. So do we believe what he says there, that real ministry is prayer, right? It, it so much feels like something that we do on the side, an afterthought, something easily forgotten. It's this privilege that by his grace that we get to be a part of what he's doing and get to minister with him and that he would use us. But it's also awesome and it's so fundamental that before that and supporting that, we get to do the most important thing, which is pray. We have a lot of young parents here. Um, parenting is hard. I don't have to tell you some of you that, but I know Amy and I are a few years ahead of, of most of you. But one thing that's been encouraging and rewarding is seeing things click, it seems, in the hearts of our kids. And I'm talking here about something really basic, at least it seems basic, where your kids don't just say thank you because they're supposed to, but they start to realize just how hard it is to be a parent, how hard we try, how much things cost to provide, you know, things like that. And so when you see your teenagers starting to say thanks and really mean it, it feels kind of good. When, when he or she requests something and really knows what they're asking, you know, what it means, what it costs, you feel encouraged. When things start to move from their heads, from their brains, into their hearts. But that doesn't come easy. It also doesn't come easy for us. As we, as we pray, as we think about what prayer is, we learn about our kids, we see an image of us, we also learn about our Father, as we get to pray. Because everything about us, again, wants to deny that we need Him, that we're weak, we're wayward without Him, and we just want to continue to live this illusion that we're good, and that we don't need to live in desperation or live in gratitude. It's hard. But the Spirit of Jesus is about kindly putting us in our place again, yeah, the gently lifting our chins, lifting our eyes to heaven. Back to my original question. What would change if we grasped our need and really began to pray? I think it would first show up in our daily lives, Carlos. In our daily lives. So I want you to think about that for a second. I think it would show up in the little things in the big. So praying for a safe journey or praying for God to work in our city. Those little Lord help us prayers as we start taking an exam. Or big kingdom come prayers as we think about our nation. The light things and the heavy. Asking him to bless a meal with friends. Or our journey into chemotherapy. Things that may not seem like that big of a deal that are still given to us by God. 
and the things that keep us awake and make us shake. The short seasons and the long. Pleading that he would work through a conflict with a friend or to save a brother or sister over years and years. We're talking brief bursts of prayer where we feel like we can move on to something else or persistent prayers we can't give up on even things that don't seem like they're being heard. The low times and the high. Asking for help in the darkest nights of the soul and also giving thanks for what seems like an overdue promotion at work. God gives the things that we would call good gifts and He's sovereign over the things that we would never ask for and He wants our hearts in both. In the moments and the milestones. Conversing with Him through the ups and downs of our days. Asking God to bless a graduate or a couple about to tie the knot. Those little moments, the day by day, the mundane, and the really big things. In our times alone and those together. On that hike as you're seeking to draw near to Him. In that circle where you're calling out to God as a group. Private, corporate, talking to Him in both. If we understood our need along with His provision, we'd pray in all those times and more, wouldn't we? Also, if we grasp our need to pray, I think it would second be seen in our life, our life together, cars. So, in our gatherings here on Sunday mornings, we'd see groups spontaneously huddling together all around this room at various times, pleading to our Father for grace. During corporate times of prayer, we'd have trouble not interrupting each other as we called out to Him for help. The sense of our need our trust in Him would be palpable here. In our missional communities, we rely on His guidance and His grace as we pursued our group mission together and as we began to engage those people with the gospel. Prayer would be the first step, the main step, not an afterthought. We'd spend our times together passionately petitioning our Father on behalf of one another and for our lost friends that we want to see reached. Prayer wouldn't just be tacked on to the end. It'd be the main thing that we would do, and they would extend into the night. In our DNA groups, our small groups within our small groups, we do less trying to fix one another and more calling on the one who can really heal and restore. We come together excited from our times through the week in His Word. We'd be ready to talk to God with our brothers and sisters. When we told people we'd pray for them, we'd do it there, we'd do it fervently, and we would do it throughout the week. If we, cars, really comprehended our need, our lives, our life would look dramatically different. We have different postures as His people. Posture. We'd, we'd be on our knees, aware of our need, looking up to His hand all the time like the sermons in this passage. And also our gestures would be different. Our instinct, our response to whatever we encountered would be to pray on the spot, full of faith. It, it wouldn't be to fix it, to run and do something, to text someone, to make a call. It'd be to call out to Him. And a command that we, we've heard, probably most of us have here, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it wouldn't seem as crazy as it does 
Because prayer would be more like breathing. Maybe more often groaning. And his provision would be more like air. And we would gasp after it just to survive. But as I begin to wrap up here, I want to ask, how can we go about seeking to grasp this in our gut? How do we change? And I'm going to give you five ideas. Again, these things aren't simple. They're things to pursue nonetheless. First is get to praying. Get to praying. We can't wait until we feel like it. Can't wait. The Lord changes our hearts. He forms us. He shapes us through rhythms. Like coming here on a Sunday whenever you didn't feel like it. And praying with your brothers and sisters. Devotional times alone. Prayer meetings together. And we just have to get to it. Second, ask for grace. Ask Him to renew your heart. To renew mine. To revive all of ours here together. The path to a praying life starts with prayer itself. And this is why we always have to talk about, we have to remind ourselves that we have to ask for God here to give us revival as His people. We seek to be faithful to do what He asks as we ask Him to do more than we could ever imagine. Third, get in His Word. Relationships, or at least real ones, alive ones, are two-way. How do we hear from the Father? Through His Word. As I said at the start, He speaks, we respond. That's basic. That's how the Gospel works. That's how prayer works. We need to hear from Him. Fourth, rehearse the Gospel. How are we right with God? Not by what we do. Not by how well we perform. But through the grace of the Father, through the person and work of Jesus. Everything we have, we've received. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And we have to continually remind ourselves of that. And all those around us. And that will move us to pray. Because we do not earn things with our own hands. We never have. We never will. We extend our hands to receive from Him. Fifth, make the room. Yeah, I'm talking about setting aside time to hear God and to respond to Him. But I'm also just talking about clearing out the noise in our lives. How can we have a conversation with a friend if the TV's on and turned up loud or our phone is always two inches from our face? I think a lot of us are trying to do that in relationships. It's not working real well. Our biggest problem today is that we're so distracted. There's so much noise, and we have to rediscover these biblical rhythms of solitude and Sabbath. Sixth, pay attention in school. Okay, a lot of people are going back to school this week. I don't know what my kids think or what you think, but it's happening. But I'm not talking about Hickman. I'm not talking about Mizzou or Columbia College. I'm talking about the school that Martin Luther talked about. Um, Hear what he says. He says, suffering is the school in which God chastens us and teaches us to trust in Him so that our faith may not always stay in our ears and hover on our lips, but may have its true dwelling place in the depths of our hearts. Your grace is now in His school. So did you catch what he says there? How does it move from here to here? I wish there was a better answer. Trials. I think he's right as we read the Bible. 
we have to keep asking this question. What could God be teaching us during this really hard season? Yeah, as I've been saying, possibly purifying his people. Probably pointing us, though, to our provider. What's the point of our troubles? The main lesson from the school. That we would turn our eyes to him and receive his mercy. Right? That we would see our need. That we would see his love. And that we wouldn't just talk about prayer and have it up in our heads. But it would be in the depths of our hearts that we feel it down in our guts. So what would it look like if that were the case? Carlos, if we're a people of his gospel, we know it's fundamental to the gospel that he gives, we receive. And that's how prayer works. How do we demonstrate right here, at this moment, in this meeting, and in our lives, and in our life moving ahead, that we believe that the real ministry of the gospel is one of prayer? So as we close, I'm going to do a couple of things. I want us to spend a few moments just envisioning that. You may have never done this in, in a church gathering before, but I want to do that, and I want to spend a little bit of time praying about that. But first of all, take a few minutes right now. If you don't mind, it might be good to maybe bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not doing an altar call. We're doing something different here. Um, but just imagine with me for a little bit. What would your life look like if you really understood your need and you really learned to pray? How would it change? Just take a few moments and try to imagine, try to envision that with me. And then think about our lives together here as Karis. What would it look like if this got down deep in our bones? What, what do you think you would see um, in your MC as we came here on a Sunday? Just spend some time imagining that. I want us now to spend some time in prayer um, where you're at right there, right now. And you can pray to yourself. I'd love it if some people would want to pray loud. And I've been talking about this. Please don't feel any pressure to perform or like respond to what I'm saying unless God is encouraging you to, and I hope he is. Um, let's just spend some time praying. I'm all, I'll open and I'll, I'll close, and then we'll move into the time around the Lord's <coughs> God, um, would you do this in us, um, would you, more than anything, humble us and just let us see our need and allow us to just be captivated by who you are, by your goodness, Lord.